Hello, welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who in random order. I'm Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal, and we're a couple of guys who really love the show, even if it's sometimes hard to tell. I think it's How's kind going, of Chris? easy to tell. That's <laughs> easy to tell. It's, it's good. Easy. It's good. It's easy to tell. It's good. Oh. We, we, we had an easy week this week with, with the show that the randomizer picked for us. I know, um, so fresh. Like, yeah. uh, it it kept us in the modern era. And it did, and the the randomizer so far. This is our fourth use of the randomizer, and it, it loves doctors named Peter. <laughs> Clearly, it's, yes. That that's all we've had so far is Davison and Capaldi episodes. It doesn't want to get out of those. Well, it knows. Uh, <laughs> it clearly knows who's who's one of the hosts of this show. Um, <laughs> yeah, interesting. Actually, and, I and there are that, interesting it's all Peter's there are interesting all the connections here. here between the two. I think this that you know each week we try to figure out why why did the randomizer bring us here, and with with this choice I didn't think there would be a lot of reasons, but I've actually discovered some. Um, Do tell. So let's get in, get into it. It well, let's is get into it. Uh, we are we are in season nine uh, episode. I forget which episode. It is episode it is. nine. Of season nine. Season nine, episode nine. Um, Sleep no more. Sleep no more. Uh, So, yeah, we didn't think there would be a lot of connection to the last episode, which is also Peter Capaldi episode, Dark Water slash Death in Heaven. Um, And uh, and, and, it's leapt us forward in time a little bit. Because that was the end of series eight. Now we're in series Mm -hmm. nine. In series Towards nine, it's, it's helpful to sort of chat a little bit about it because it was like the second series of Capaldi with, and also mm. Jenna Coleman stuck around, and they certainly revamped Capaldi a bit. Well, more than a bit, I would argue. Oh yeah, he, um, he became Disco Doctor. Doctor, yeah, Disco. his wardrobe changed, um, his manner and sort of attitude wasn't entirely different, but it wasn't. Uh, you know, they dropped some of the sort of alien coldness. Yes, um, and his voice gets slightly less Scottish. I, I noticed this as 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 a it's <laughs> a keen uh, noticer of British accents. He get he goes slightly more Tom Bakery, interesting in in this season, um, and and drops the sort of Malcolm Tucker angry Scottish bit to a certain extent. It's still there, but it's softened. Uh, yeah, and he's got the sonic sunglasses. Yeah, well, that's which one of the big things. Uh, yeah. The sonic sunglasses, which we could maybe talk about in the recap a bit, but I mean, the, um, yeah, that was an interesting choice. Cause I feel like the Sonic sunglasses were a bit of a one-off gag. It seemed like for the climax of the season premiere. Mm. Uh, and then they sort of stuck with them for the rest of the season. And I know that Dr. Who, fan- I wouldn't even say it split Dr. Who fandom. I would say it was not popular with Dr. Who fandom. <laughs> And I remember you, you wrote a whole thing about it. Yeah, well, I, I, the thing is, it's funny. Like, uh, people might know my one of my day jobs, and certainly my day job at the time, was being a, a technology editor. And, you know, I'm supposed to like wearable technology, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I probably was do the era more than of, most. It was the era of Google Glass still, exactly. right? People were still wearing those, so it seemed appropriate for the doctor to wear it. But maybe that's why people didn't like it. It was a bit too buzzy. It was a bit too off the moment, too on the nose. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that was. An well, it's issue. also like and, something as as built into the show as the sonic screwdriver yeah. uh, at this point, which has been since what was it Fury from the Deep, I believe. So it is really yeah. like one of these this mainstay. Um, it's like to use an analogy, but, perhaps like changing Spider Man's costume. <laughs> Although lines. the the sonic screwdriver does take uh, long vacations in Doctor Who history. Sure. Let, let's be clear about that. It does. Uh, but yeah, so season nine, the 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 big hook throughout it is the hybrid. Like, I feel like you can identify all Moffat seasons by what you know. What's the arc? What's the hook? He's always got to have one. And and in this season, it's like who who or what is the hybrid that's supposed to destroy Gallifrey? He's basically lifted the whole thing from the Star Wars prequels. Like the prophecy of the chosen one. <laughs> Who's the chosen one? Like you know, and the hybrid very much has that vibe. Yeah, um, and I gotta say, until you said it just now, I kind of forgot. I mean, not that I forgot, <laughs> forgot, but I was like, oh yeah, like I. There's so much notable about this season in this episode in the season, mm. and 
one, it, it has nothing to do with that, but also like, oh yeah, yes. like that was such an unmemorable kind of like arc, I think, that I, I it's not like I was, you know, chomping at the bit during this episode to get back to it. Um, well, so this is what I love about the randomizer and, and the, the setup that we've got is that it uh, takes us to the shows that we wouldn't necessarily rewatch, right? Because this is Sleep No More. This is episode nine, and and we're we're two episodes away from one of the greatest episodes of Doctor Who, uh, Heaven Sent. Uh, you know that's fast. I mean, certainly my favorite of the Capaldi era. You know, sort of jockeying with Last Christmas. Um, and I think, you know, next time we get a big Doctor Who magazine poll, it'll probably rank in the top ten. It is a fantastic episode. Um, and yet here we are two episodes earlier, <laughs> you know, right. uh, looking at an so episode that didn't so get far. a lot of love. Uh, and the same thing happened with the, the early randomized, right? We, we could have gone to Caves of Androsani, now we went to Planet of Fire, right? So we, <laughs> we're the Doctor Who podcast that touches the hearts other podcasts can't reach. Yeah, we were, we're uh, backing into the epics. <laughs> but but Pete, I, I figured out why why it is the randomizer took us here. It took it took me some time. Tell me, it's been it's, racking it's my brain. It's not what just it? it was a two part thing. You might say it's a hybrid. Uh, okay, ironic because <laughs> this is the only episode of the season that is in two parts. <laughs> but, but go on. Yes, and doesn't mention the hybrid. Um, <laughs> but uh, first of all, there's a lot of Peter Davidson connection okay. in this episode that's sort of hidden, and we'll get there. Um, you know, a little hook for the rest of the episode, fans. Um, but also, I believe this is one of the few, if not the only, Doctor Who episode that both you and I specifically wrote about on Mashable. Oh, that's true. I believe, yes, that's true. I we didn't both... realize that I did a recap and review of every single story of the season. And I remember you that. Were, you were at the New York Sleep No More premiere. Right. So it's funny because I remember when Peter Capaldi took over from Matt Smith and we were kind of in the American press. We were kind of spoiled by Matt Smith a bit because he loved the U.S. He obviously uh, had a had an affinity for it. He also loved New York and he he paid a visit here several times um, to promote the show. But he actually just genuinely loved coming here. Uh, Capaldi mm. did not. Uh, to my knowledge, Capaldi only came to New York anyway. I, I know he did Comic-Con uh, probably at least once or twice, but he only came to New York once at the uh, for his premiere. So there were only a couple of New York-based like events you know, that the BBC sort of took part in uh, for press, and this was one of them. So Mark Gattis, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Gattis? Gattis. Yes. Mark yes. Gattis, uh, he, the writer of this episode and certainly one of the um, more prominent behind-the-scenes uh, people in uh, The New Who, um, he came to, I believe it was the Museum of uh, Moving Image in Queens and sat down with a bunch of fans in the theater they have there to screen sleep no more and talk about it. And it was an interesting time. So I checked that out. Um and he had lots to say, including a little bit about the sonic sunglasses, I remember, since we oh, just yeah. talked about it. In that, and he strongly alluded to them going away at the end of the season. <laughs> I, remember it's like, I remember that one of the questions was, what's with the sonic sunglasses? It's like, hey, you know, you're something, it's fun, it's interesting. But you know the show, right? Things, some things uh, come in and sometimes they come back. <laughs> yeah, he's he's such an affable guy. Yeah, I I like to think that he's he's that way in interviews. I, I've not interviewed him myself. I did interview uh, Moffat and Capaldi for for season nine at San Diego Comic Con. Nice. Obviously, we didn't specifically discuss this episode, but I remember Moffat being very uh, irritable when I talked about Gallifrey. Uh, obviously, he didn't want to reveal I, I that it was coming Stephen back. Even Moffat has never not been irritable in an interview. <laughs> He is one of these people who really, he barely tolerates the press. Honestly, he barely tolerates the fans. Yes. Uh, every time oh, I've seen him I'm speak. I'm Scottish. I can complain yeah. about things. Yes. Yeah. Um, that is very much it. It's his thing. But um, yeah, so anyway, uh, I digress a bit on the, the, the Gaddis appearance. I'll have more to say about what he had to say. But yeah, we both wrote about this for Mashable. I did sort of a, a bit of an overview um, slash uh, quotes from his Q&A. And you did a whole recap and review. I did. And it's. I think it's fair to say you liked it better. Um, I think, which is 
maybe partly a function of seeing it on the big screen. That was sort of the first thing that I thought when when we when I started watching it was, I bet this looked amazing on a big screen, and I can see how it sort of had less less of an impact on a small one. But I gave it my lowest grade of the season, unfortunately, yeah, a man. C minus. C minus. Yeah. Wow. Ouch. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So now <laughs> had... we kind of know where we stood back in 2015. <laughs> Let's see where we land on this uh, on yeah. the second viewing. Uh, the I... randomizer has taken us perhaps to a scene of our biggest conflict over over Doctor Who in terms of disagreement over an episode. It's it's yeah. It's yeah. It, it. The randomizer clearly knows we need to resolve this before we can go any further. <laughs> um. So should we should we hit play? Should we start? With the uh, the recap, because uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just I I wanted to see because Dark Water, Death in Heaven, um, rewatching that sort of made me at peace with it for a while. Like I, I mm-hmm. realized I'd had some long running issues with how dark it got, the whole "Don't Cremate Me" thing that we t- talked about last week, um, and and I liked it so much better this time, and I I enjoyed it so much more. And I was hoping, I just hope that maybe the same thing could happen with Sleep With Me. Uh, I'm going to spoil it now and say that it did not. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay, guys. And I had all of the issues that I had the first time around, I'm afraid I had the second time around. So, uh, yeah, but let's get into it. Interesting, yeah. So um, I'll, I'll save my, just so we have some secret till the end, I'll save my uh, <laughs> revised assessment of this till the end. But, um, yeah, it starts out... I mean, like, it's unusual for many reasons, this episode, and one is that there's no title sequence. Um, yeah. Now, it starts out still with the cold open with this uh, this person, Dr. Rasmussen. Um, and he is talking about how he's trying to make sense of something that just happened and that he has apparently a lot of footage that uh, of what had just happened to him in some place in space. And he's going to show it to us, uh, even though we should not watch. So, you know, this is a very smart, uh, promising opening, I'll have to say, because it is unusual. It really it really piques your interest, uh, probably more so because for the lack of title sequence, which is the, obviously clearly they're going all the way with this found footage idea. Um, but the, the found footage thing, you know, they hadn't done it before, really, in the in the series, to my knowledge. So uh, not in, certainly not to the scale. So it is... Uh, yeah. You know, you're like, okay, this is this is going to be an interesting ride. This this is going to be fun. And it and it's Reese Shearsmith, who's who's you know sort of modern British acting royalty, was in the League of Gentlemen with Mark Gatiss, and uh, and he was also a a a doctor, very briefly. A um, doctor. Yes, he was <laughs> two two years before this. He was in uh, an adventure in space and time. Oh, of course, uh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. In which he plays very briefly. Um, Troughton, Patrick, Patrick Troughton coming in to replace William Hartnell. Um, I don't think he even has a speaking role in that, but it's an interesting quirk that here we are with a cold open in a show with no title sequence, and a guy who has played the Doctor is is here playing something else. So another reason why this episode is unique. Yeah, it's interesting. I got I got to say, it's almost like I would love to see a multi-Doctor episode where they bring in like everyone who was never an official Doctor. <laughs> You can get, yes. like, you know, David, David Bradley, Bradley and uh, Reese Shear uh, Smith. Yeah. Uh, and then even, and... Uh, oh, um, uh, God, why is his name escaping me now? He voices the Daleks. Uh, oh, uh, Nicholas Briggs? Nicholas Briggs, because he, he, he was kind of the doctor in the comic. <laughs> it's a long story. There's a comic strip where someone's drawn exactly like him. I'm sure he's had, like, other stints sort of being yes. the doctor in various other unofficial media, but, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, Big Finish has a lot of uh, unofficial doctors. Right, um, and Richard E. Grant. And... Yes. Yes. Uh, everyone in The Curse of Fatal Death, including totally. Joanna Lumley. There's probably more of these than officials, really, if you think about it. <laughs> uh, we'd have to, you'd have to get some kind of criteria on who's the right doctor, like who, what qualifies you as sort of an unofficial doctor. Um, yes. You know, you can't just be in some fan film. Um, no, well, there's uh, the, the most recent guy that was added was, you know, they, they reshot shot some scenes for Legopolis on the Blu-ray, I believe. And so they had an extra scene of the Doctor hanging from the radio tower. And they, they drafted in some student 
to play <laughs> to play Tom Baker at that moment. Yeah, that and, guy doesn't and, count. Yeah, um, I just love the line in Doctor Who magazine was like, "Everyone, update your spreadsheets." It's like, <laughs> "Oh God, yes, we we are such nerds that we would have spreadsheets of everyone who's ever played the Doctor." Um, oh, indeed. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Rhys Shearsmith chewing chewing the scenery a little, uh, doing that sort of, you know, it, it's kind of a sci-fi trope, you know, breathless guy in a space station that appears to be in some sort of danger. Yeah, and also the, the trope of like. You know, the, the, we don't have the main characters finding this footage, but there's always like, hey, check the logs of what happened at this horrible, mm-hmm. horrible place. And this is sort of like what we're um, what we're uh, taught to expect. So he there's this intro. And then when basically we cut to uh, sort of your standard four, I think it's four, four um, mm-hmm. military personnel getting ready to uh, mount some kind of rescue. And the I think uh, in your in your recap you you said these guys are like it's kind of a trope they're almost from central casting you know they're all kind of quirky yeah. and different in their own ways. There's a grunt who's actually called a grunt, <laughs> yeah, literally um, called a grunt. Yeah, and you know he's a clone because he's got the strange markings on his face. Because why wouldn't you do that with clones? Um, yeah, I felt like but this the, scene uh, had like a little too much like background exposition coming at me. Like I, I got the what they were right away, but it, you know, they were on a ship and they're going to the space station to rescue people. But I also felt like there wasn't quite. A, I, I was getting a little bit of terminus vibes almost, and I felt like there wasn't enough sort of difference in how the ship looked versus the space station, and I was always a little bit confused as to which was where and. Um, I don't know. I felt like it was a little. They could have oriented you a little better, but maybe that was the point that you're a little disoriented. Um, but I was sort of yeah. almost like, where are it, they? I was kind of wondering. The main problem with this group is we're not given any reason to care about any of them. They're, they're not really given distinct personalities. Uh, you know, you, you have the sort of tense, anxious one uh, right. who's who's called a rip for reasons that will become clear later. You know, um, and the the only distinguishing uh feature of the the leader of this crew uh even though she's she's rather special in doctor who history it's the first uh openly transgender actor to appear in doctor who bethany black um and they've they've just sort of they've given her and this is the only th- thing only a british viewer would notice uh a geordie accent oh wow um which is a little weird because she's from lancashire <laughs> which is not uh, Geordie, which is not the northeast of England, is uh, the accent from that region is known as Geordie. That's where I grew up. Um, oh wow! It, it was an accent I do not have, by the way. Right. I was uh, just yeah. In case you were <laughs> wondering, guys. Of, yeah, I was kind of bullied at school for not having that accent, so it's always a little weird to hear it. Oh man, sorry to hear that. Um, but but she, you know that she's Geordie because she keeps saying pet. She keeps calling everyone pet, which hmm. is a very Geordie thing. Uh, but she she hasn't quite nailed the accent. It's a very different, difficult British accent to get. Um, if if you know the movie Billy Elliot, that's sort of the, its most prominent appearance in media. Uh, she doesn't quite nail it here. But so maybe that was a little distracting. But yeah, you just Mark Gatiss is not expert at crafting new characters that are sort of instantly memorable with a line or two. Unfortunately, um, true. Um, and I feel like he's a little in love with his own writing in that yeah. it's almost like you're trying to intrigue us and make us think back to this scene or even watch it again to sort of pick out the things that we didn't understand the first time. Mm. But that puts a lot of faith in us wanting to go back and do that. Um, and it's, I and don't know. Also, his quirk here, his future quirk is that there's been a catastrophe and... Uh, India and Japan are somehow close together, so there's lots of Indo-Japanese culture. Right, right. Yeah, and apparently that was because he'd recently taken a trip there, which is fine. I mean, that's, you know, writers write what they know and what's on their mind, so... um, But there's otherwise really no reason for it. It was also, apparently, he talks about the great catastrophe that that caused this to happen, and it's... uh, he's (laughs) He said in interviews he was referring to Frontios. Right. Which is like, are you a fan or or not? <laughs> like, I mean, first of all, that's not what they say happens in Frontios, uh, yeah. which the, the Earth was supposedly doomed and crashing into the sun. And 
I don't know. It's a nerd out. Let's do a little nerd digression here. Like, yeah. get really into the weeds. Like, to be fans have pretty much settled that the catastrophe of Frontios is, you know, billions of years in the future and coincides with either the end of the Earth or is part of when, um, well, what was it? The Ark from, from the first Doctor era. When mm. basically it matches sort of the end of the Earth, which is like, okay, that didn't happen. Uh, at least that didn't happen in the 38th century, according to Doctor Who. But, I mean, yeah. um, what I did like about this, and it, I don't think it really works entirely, uh, is that, but I like about it, I still like it, is that it's in the solar system. It's actually, we're orbiting Neptune here, which is kind of unusual. You don't usually... Um, Neptune doesn't get a lot of love. Right, yeah. Like, it's either, like, Jupiter, if you're going further out. Um, yeah, you don't really see Neptune a lot. Neptune, you know, it's, nice, it's a nice color. It's a nice, nice shade of blue. Let's see more <laughs> it doesn't of it. Really, doesn't really get any love here. It's like there's there's no reason for it to be set around Neptune. It's just, yeah, well, know. that's the problem. It's kind of like, it's a little, gives you a little more familiarity. Oh, this is close to Earth. Awesome. This is our neighborhood. But when you get into the far future and you're like, we're in the Earth neighborhood, you kind of get the Star Trek problem where it's like, why aren't there ships just everywhere? You know, yeah. why isn't this like the busiest place? Because you're talking like this is the 38th century. Like there's, you know, yeah, we're, come on. The, we're a spacefaring race. We've colonized the galaxy. Like th there should be virtually no danger here, in other words, right? <laughs> like, Yeah, you, you shouldn't just say, need to send a four-person crew in to, uh, to deal with this mysteriously empty space station. Like, you know, right. and they make, send an they entire make, police force in. They make kind of the joke later that it's budget cuts. <laughs> which is funny but it also like it doesn't really make sense um but so that's the that's the first um peter davison connection is that they're that this is supposedly connected to to frontiers yeah um you so know they it's, it's a little they they have the the group here and they, they get to the space station and i think uh despite sort of some not really not great characters and a little too fast exposition i think the story like finds its footing again pretty quickly when they meet the doctor mm. and clara and yes. it's mostly because of the doctor and clara and a lot of great dialogue uh i was really laughing again about the exchange about putting space in front of things and the doctor saying people don't do that they don't put like you know space yogurt and <laughs> space meals or whatever <laughs> or space restaurant that's not that's not a thing and then she's like well what about space suit and yes like, Okay, and, and then later on, what about space pirates, which what? I thought was an excellent comeback, <laughs> given that Doctor Who has had many space pirates. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you kind of do sometimes need to put space in front of things, just to clarify. Um, so so that's pretty good. So there's a lot of there's a lot of witty dialogue. Uh, I really liked when they asked the Doctor, you know, what happened? He's like, oh, since the beginning of time? That's a very long story. <laughs> and, Typical Doctor. Yeah. Typical. Um. So they start to look around, and uh, clearly, you know, they're, they're intercut a little bit by Rasmussen, uh, you know, being the narrator, uh, talking about how, uh, I think he sort of says something darkly, like everyone, there's no crew left, right, for them to find. Mm -hmm. um, and so they do find some beans, but those turn out to be the monster of the week. Uh, and we're not sure what they are at this point, but they're these kind of big, <sighs> stomping blobby people they actually i <laughs> when i first saw them you know what i thought i thought the plasmatons you know the i thought that i thought they were the plasmatons but me. they reminded me of the plasmatons from time flight who who are the plasmatons the plasmatons from... okay so time flight in the peter davison era famously right. was famously like under budget um or sorry famously like the, the season went over budget so they had no money to make time flight and so they basically <laughs> put people in gray tights gray gray body suits and filled them with like you know i don't know styrofoam or something so they looked a little blobby and that was like this strange thing the master could conjure uh to oh, sort of imprison people at, it, was, it looked so I'm bad looking at pictures now this is this is awesome i i think it should have been the plasmatons <laughs> uh i think they, they look amazing they look so much better it's it's interesting that you say this because my first thought on seeing the monster again was like oh god this is so classic series this is so no budget monster right uh, <laughs> that's the thing i mean I, what's disappointing i mean you can do stuff with low budget i mean the old series did it all the time but yeah it was 
the, they're so formless and you you know you don't yeah. really get a sense of the why they're menacing you know they have these sort of big droopy mouths but they don't really move um you never quite see even through the whole episode exactly what they do to people you know not that i'm looking for gore it's doctor who mm. that doesn't happen but we see that they turn into dust like when when the door when they escape from them the door closes and they close on one of their arms they turn into dust that's the only interesting thing yeah so you you, you sort of get the sense through these um composite beings that can somehow form themselves and i think that that ends up being true um and that's kind of interesting um but they never quite i don't know they're they're never quite menacing and the the weirdest thing, and I think you mentioned this in your your review, was that like, does anyone ever shoot them? Like, like we've got soldiers <laughs> here with guns, and it seems like they're never actually sh- they never actually use the guns definitively against yeah. these monsters, and it's 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 completely fine. And and Doctor Who does it all the time to have monsters that are bulletproof in some way, and that's I guess what you these are. But it, they don't do the requisite shoot the monster, show it doesn't work, and then everyone sort of. It dawns on everyone that weapons are useless. Yeah, so all the, the soldiers are wearing helmets with little lights on them, and we're sort of meant to think that the found footage is coming from cameras next to those lights, right? Right. Um, and, and we later find out, spoiler alert, that they, they're, they're not actually carrying any cameras, and the found footage is something else. But uh, it, it's sort of, you know, so they're, they're carrying helmets that are sort of faking us out on having cameras, and maybe they're carrying fake guns as well. It's like, you just get that feel like what what are you even doing why are you even armed yeah it's like what, yeah there's just so much you know you know there's twists you know there's like misleads there's something's wrong here um yeah. and it is like this is this is why i think the story still kind of works right because it's because it it does um the pacing was very good in, in that you as you sort of start to realize this is a found footage where the cameras are. You you also like other spider sense starts going up in your uh, in your brain, thinking, "Oh, that can't be it," or "There must be something else here," or "There's there's you know I now once I feel like I'm ahead of the story, I must be behind," and it actually works mm. decently in that sense. You know, like now that's not to say all the twists and mislead makes sense, but it's structured well for what it's trying to do. It is, you know, sort of a classic Doctor Who structure of slowly revealing the nature of the monster, making the monsters the mystery. Um, And we don't find out until they they get to the sleep pods uh, after escaping a bunch of monsters. Um, And and here's where I sort of, you know, so so I I watch this late at night. Um, You you know, Pete, and listeners should know that that I'm very much night owl and Hmm. get much of my Doctor Who viewing. Uh, done late at night, so I, you know, I look forward to an episode called "Sleep No More" as a little nighttime horror. Sure. Um, gotta say, I, I started to feel sleepy around this point, <laughs> <laughs> you mean so which they... is not, which is not usual. Like, I, I, and I, I sort of, I, I maybe blinked and missed the fact that they got connected from one of their group, Deep Ando. Um, oh yeah, he he runs who... in some other direction. Yeah, so I sort of blinked and missed what happened there. And there are a few times where I was sort of like unusually zoning out um, during the story. And and that was one of them. Oh, wait, they're, they're separated, but, but they've still got the grunt with them, even though the grunt was strangling someone a second ago. And it just, they're kind of ignoring that now. So the story started to unravel for me at this point. Um but I, I, I got to say that once once they're in the room with the sleep pods, which is what happens next, <laughs> and they start to explain the sleep pods, um, I, I was back into it. I was hooked again. Well, yeah. Uh, it's, because it's, it is a great concept. It's not bad. Because, um, like I said, it's paced well. They get away from the monsters. They get inside. There's investigation. There's a bit of a scare when Clara gets pulled into one of these sort of sarcophagus-like machines, these Morpheus machines, as they find out. And then I love this is I, I really like this device in horror movies, right? So like when she's on in there, like the they play Mr. Sandman, right? The, yes. the classic two. Well they play the opening notes of Mr. Sandman and the opening notes are repeated throughout and a few lines of lyrics are repeated throughout. They never get right. further than like the first line. And you've got to wonder, like, did did they just not get the rights to Mr. Sandman? <laughs> are there are there still rights? I don't know what the story was, but it definitely has that well, cheap I, BBC I, I, feeling. I, I, I took that to mean that 
uh, a little bit of a obvious sort of hidden meaning given what Rasmussen does at the end. You know, it's like Mr. Sandman, send me a dream, right? Mm. And I thought that was kind of like the, oh, it's kind of right there. I mean, sort of. In, in they, the lyric, they made what that, the plot is. They could have made that more explicit. I think that would have been nice. Right. Uh, but also, at, at this point, if you're a nerd, you're hearing Morpheus Machine, Sandman, and Clara names the monsters that the Sandman which the Doctor objects to because he wants to be the one to name the monsters, which I thought was their best bit of dialogue in the whole thing. And yeah, so like at this... this point you're checking to see if Mark Gaddis is an anagram for Neil Gaiman. <laughs> but yeah, you, you as a nerd, you're, you're watching this like, how can you not just sort of openly reference the Sandman at this point? It's so predominant in nerd culture yeah. that when you bring up the names Morpheus and Sandman in the same show, you cannot not tip the hat. Come on. Yeah, it's but definitely a missed opportunity. Um, Especially I, since the guy wrote for the show twice. Know, right? This is the thanks you give him. It's like you, you should be obligated. Yeah. Um, but I, I am a sucker for the sort of horror movie device of the upbeat, uh, mm. almost uh, silly tune that uh, is played to um, in contrast to what's actually happening, the, the horror that's yes. there. That's like, it's, it's like a music box. There's, there's a common horror movie trope of like music box goes off at the wrong time and that's sort of slightly too upbeat, tinny sound yeah, and then is you, exactly what they're going You start to associate the, the, the fun, uh, happy time sound with horror as the more they use it, which is, I, you know, it's such a sort of, such an easy, but um, I find very affecting sort of, uh, you know, mind game that horror movies play. I, I just fall for it every time. Yeah. Um, so then, Clara gets pulled get into one of the reveal, right? Yeah. Well, we get the mm-hmm. reveal of the villain. I oh, know I shouldn't say that. Oh, I, I just spoiled it. <laughs> Dope. <laughs> In case you haven't seen sorry, it. Sorry, sorry, fans. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Clara is pulled into one of these things that get her out, um, and then we realize what they are. These are the sleep pods that will turn an entire, essentially, an entire month's worth of sleep into five minutes or it's basically you do five minutes a day in this thing and you don't have to sleep for a month i think that was it i forgot exactly yes which which we learn from a giant floating head which appears right uh, over the product to explain the product because this will happen by the 38th century we'll gi- have giant floating heads above everything uh the the the, the future wait. version of clippy it'll be <laughs> clippy but but for your uh sleep device uh for your morpheus sleep device and and i i love you know, uh, occasionally you get flashes of Mark Gass's wit. He's an incredibly witty man. He wrote The League of Gentlemen. And, you know, it's a very funny gothic horror show. Um, and and he's he's a funny guy. And he doesn't get enough chance to show that in Doctor Who. And certainly not this episode. You can feel the comedy straining to get out of the, uh, you know, Blair Witch Project style uh, design of, of, of this episode. Uh, and this is one moment where sort of, you know, the, the head, you think the head is done explaining everything about you know the, this data dump about the morpheus device and then she pops back up and says terms and conditions apply yeah <laughs> in the middle of doc- the doctor and clara's dialogue and they turn to look at it and it's, that's a lovely comedy moment i would love to see more moments like that yeah they kind of i think it's one of the last comedy moments in this mm. particular episode because I, like, I think it started off strong with the dialogue we mentioned earlier this is that was a great moment and I don't know, as we go along, there might be another, but yeah, it does, it does get pretty serious and pretty even like, um, uh, a bit, I don't know, pompous even at a couple of times, but, yeah. uh, yeah, well, well, speaking of pompous, the, the explanation gets a bit sort of, uh, you know, hits you over the head a bit with its sort of capitalism allegory here, which is that, you know, if you just sleep for a few minutes a night or, you know, use the electrical signals from this device to make you pack in a whole night of sleep, then you'll you'll get a jump on your competitor. You'll make more money. Time is money. Yep. There's and a lot think, of well, that. First what? of all, no, time time is time. Like, you know, the the reason to use a machine like this, I think for most for a lot of people, would not be the sort of capitalistic instinct that Mark S is telling it is. I you know, you can imagine uh, an artist who really wants to Spend their life making as much art as possible. They would or, or a pair of podcasters who just want to do more podcasts <laughs> of their favorite show over and over and over yeah. again. I mean, that's what you would we do. You want to watch yeah. all of Doctor Who, and you need to sleep no more for that. I gotta so. say, it was it, it, this is I, they do this a few times in the Capaldi era, and it's like 
I wish they just got it out of their system because there was also, I believe, Oxygen the following year, which had obviously a very, very anti-capitalist move. And it's like it's all mm. well and good. It's just like <laughs> it's it's a little predictable and a little a little like okay, I get it, you know? Like, yeah, and we you, didn't need it. Yeah, like I I'm I'm as anti-capitalist as the next Bay Area resident, but I we we did not need this in this story. Thank you very much. I I get what you're trying to say, but it's just sort of clunky. And it wor- it works um, without it. To your point, you mm-hmm. know, you don't really need exact that, yeah. and you know, we don't have to hate corporations because they don't want to give us sleep. I think it's a very natural thing to you know for yeah. whatever your motivations to like not want to sleep your life away. And uh, it come it come it sort of covers up this. Um, thing we've which we've seen in the background that which the people that don't use them this machine are called rips or right. rip van winkles like oh you're so sleepy you actually sleep eight hours a night you're you're such a rip um and this reminded me a lot of there's there's a 1992 science fiction novel by nancy cress called beggars in spain which has this exact plot which is that a whole new generation um of kids grow up without like they their dna has been engineered to the point where they don't need to sleep because sleep is a mystery in right. human behavior. We're still not entirely sure why we do it for the length of time that we do it. As they say in, in Sleep No More, we spend a third of our lives asleep. That's a huge sacrifice. A third of our lives. I mean, the, the motivation to, to eradicate that somehow is is so strong. And it happens in Beggars in Spain. And there's, there's a sort of a giant generational planetary split. And you really sort of get that big picture sense of of what's happening with the you know the 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 no sleep people are sort of treated like mutants and x-men you know right uh, there's that very human thing of we delineate and divide ourselves and they start to get into this and sleep no more and they kind of pull away from it because there's too many confusing things going on at the same time and i wish they'd just focus on the you know the divide between the the no, no sleepers and the rips would have been fascinating to yeah. see more about that yeah exactly um, um but it, it puts the doctor in this interesting position of the doctor is the one to defend sleep which <laughs> as clara points out like when do you sleep yeah He's, uh, i love that he, he says even i sleep and she just does a when like when you're not looking when you're not looking and he has actually at the in deep breath at the beginning of his first season capaldi has this whole line about how he has micro micro sleeps or micro naps. Do you remember that? Vaguely. I, I also just exactly. now that you pointed out that the only time I think we we really see the doctor sleep in the series is just after he's regenerated. That's those are like yeah. you know when uh, certainly when Tenet was, um, you know, sleep in like Rose's mom's apartment or whatever, and and you know the, yeah. it's really the only time we see him like really resting. Uh, if you look back at all the actually all the doctors probably did it in their first. He, he never uses that zero room anymore. I mean, you you, you just oh, jettisoned, my so friend. Much. Jettisoned. <laughs> you can get another zero room, I'm sure. You're, you're probably sure you could. I mean, it's a big. Yeah. The TARDIS is pretty big, as we as we saw. <laughs> you got you got many expansion slots in that thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so so they yeah. So he's not really. He's not really the the uh, defender of sleep, right? You know, we we know he's a hypocrite, yeah, 100%. For, for saying all this, and yet he's he's doing this marvel. He's quoting Shakespeare like whoa. Well, he even know? says at one point, "Sleep is blessed." You know, this is where, mm. what I was thinking about when I said it gets a little pompous at times. Um, you know, nice quote. Um, yeah, and again, it's but yeah, it's hard to great. trust the messenger. It's great, great acting stuff, you know, uh, knits, what is it, knits the sleeve of raveled care, something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And he actually makes a, the, an excellent argument for why we sleep. Like, we do need to drop down into that into that dark well uh, of pleasant dreams, you know. Uh, and that's sort of, that's an interesting point. But again, it's buried yeah. um, because there's so much going on and because it's the doctor saying it and he's not really the, the world's greatest sleep scientist and um and also because something else is going on because when the doctor says i sleep when you're not looking and he looks directly at clara and that is the first bit of found footage that we know is not coming from someone with a helmet yeah and you it's all it actually occurred to me um that when he looks at her you know he's it's basically capaldi turned to camera and that never really mm. happens. And it's like you, it's very interesting to sort of see Capaldi like turn to camera because you see him in a way yeah. that you'd never see him at all in the rest of the series. And you really get, feel that intensity. 
um, just from his stare. Yeah, and yeah. it's unnerving, and uh, it breaks the fourth wall. And I love the, I love the experimental nature of this episode. Uh, mm. I love the the Doctor Who's trying found footage, trying new things, still at this late you know fifty plus stage of its life. Uh, it could still be fresh in that sense of trying something new and experimental. Did you um, um, I like? When Capaldi... I really wanted to like it. Yeah, I know. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of ambition here certainly, but I remember when Capaldi turned to camera, there was mm. a little bit of me. I got to say, I thought of like, is he going to say, "Oh, and please subscribe to the official <laughs> Doctor Who YouTube channel." Like, <laughs> Mash that subscribe button. Yeah. Um, oh boy, uh, that's that was just the most <laughs> common thing I think I remember hearing Peter Capaldi say during that era. Because you know, if you went to anything on YouTube, you would get that end card, and there he was looking right at the camera, asking you to subscribe. Um, oh, that's funny. I don't remember that. that was well, they do it with all the doctors now. Yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Um, Capaldi might have been the first to actually officially do it, and, and now uh, there's one with Whitaker. But um, makes sense. But anyway, they they decide they they see that the last pod is still occupied, and so they they get it open, or I think it's actually um, the person inside opens it, and it turns out it's Rasmussen, our narrator. Yep, and surprise. He's there, and uh, you know they he's apparently the only survivor of the station because he hid himself uh, in this uh, sleep pod. And and this is where we find out what the monsters are, right? It sort of starts to slowly piece together from this point. Right, exactly, because the doctor also analyzes some of the crumbling from the arm mm. and finds out, essentially, it's um, mucus. And it is mucus. They are mucus monsters. They, yeah, they're dead blood cells, mucus, and dead skin. It's eye mucus. Uh, and that was the point the first time watching it where I was like, I'm out. <laughs> you know, I just... <laughs> mucus? A mucus monster yeah. made up from sleep in your eye. I mean, it's like they kept saying sleep dust in your eye. I'm like, what kind of sleep are you getting in your eyes? Yeah, sometimes it's dusty and crusty. But for the most part, it's mucusy. Yeah, it's not great, I gotta say. And I think you could, like, with a little more development, maybe. But it's really just like, what is it? It's this thing that's just gross and... You know, you're grossed out more than anything, right? Yeah. You're not terrified. Um, I, exactly. It just uh, it makes them dumb. Yeah. Yeah. And that and that's the worst sin for a Doctor Who monster, is to make them sort of irretrievably, irredeemably dumb and and not scary. You know, like oh, this is this is a comedy now. Yeah, and it, it, again, like it's always it's very unclear like what eye mucus can do to a person, even in mm. an agglomerated form, right? Like, I mean, we just all we saw is that the arm breaks when you close the door on it, like we have not seen why these things are really that terrifying. You know, they make a noise, yeah. they have a mouth. So, but the, I haven't seen teeth, you know, I, yeah. I haven't seen body what, what parts. What are they going to do? Like, where's the Eat rest you? of the crew anyway? I guess yeah. they've been dissolved, but I mean, they don't really show that. And they don't, they're not explicit about that either. You know? So like, you're, you're, it's very vague, like why we should be scared of these things other than this is a horror style. episode. Yeah. And they're just sort of lumbering and, you know, chase you while going raw. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah it's sort of so i think it's an interesting thing that the randomizer brought us here right after dark water death in heaven because this i think speaks to something that was going on throughout not just moffat's tenure but more moffat's episodes that he seemed to want to constantly one-up himself and obviously gattis got in on the game as well um with sort of making things that kids are going to see in everyday life scary mm -hmm. right like, what other thing can we turn into a scary monster? It starts with the Weeping Angels. And okay. it, you know, it, it sort of continues. Don't forget Shadows. Shadows, yeah. Okay. Shadows in the library. Count the shadows. Uh, and those work great. And it sort of... But eventually it gets into this sort of sense of desperation. Like, we've used up every idea. Right. What can we make scary now? Oh, you know, uh, let's... Let's make cremation scary. Whoops, too scary. <laughs> That's making adults scared and just sort of, you know, making questions be asked of the BBC. Um, and and now they're like, well, what about sleep in your eye? Like, yeah, can... it's it's really I I don't know about Doctor Who. I mean, there's there's been so much. I mean, it's it's made plastic, uh, plastic, any kind of plastic scary. Yeah. Um, Wi-Fi. Thinking well. of the modern era. There's there's storm there's more they can do. Uh, I applaud them for trying. Yeah. Um, 
but it's this one this one not quite although yeah conceptually i agree with you this isn't it scary um again it's developed it could have been a little bit more scary but i'm going to give the episode again points for pacing and um not giving us too much time to think because soon after this analysis has happened and we're trying to sort of figure out what to do the monsters bust in essentially i think what happens is the grav the gravity um stabilizers i forget whatever they're called uh are just suddenly turned off and the doctor has to sort of fix that which gives the monsters an opportunity to get in and you're kind of like it was another crisis and they seemingly like kill rasmussen but it's uh, again it's so unclear what they do you're kind of like what did that just happen like i'm not sure what happened like it's actually and that was another that was another blink of you miss blink and you'll miss it moment which which i had where i was like what did did i just fall asleep for a second there they killed rasmussen yeah, which you kind of know they didn't because he's the narrator. Yeah. Um, so you're you, and then you're just kind of ushered into um, the next the the freezer. I think after this, right? They sort of fix the grav thing somehow, and so the the station is no longer in peril. Uh, but then they're all hiding in a freezer from from the Sandman. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and it's sort of <laughs> it's definitely zoning out on the plot by this point. Um, yeah, so you know. they're they're there, and I remember like Clara's Clara start, Clara's the one who actually starts calling them the Sandman, and I, it's yeah. just a funny joke that the Doctor makes. It's like oh, it's like the Silurians all over again, you know. Which, which is, is is he actually? Refer- I mean, it, he may just be referencing the controversy over them being called Silurians. Is that? Yeah, because it's the Silurians were impo- couldn't be from the Silurian era. So it's yeah. kind of like, why are they called the Silurians? Well, ostensibly because the guy in the original Silurians episode got the period wrong, knew nothing clearly about right. about uh, Earth prehistory, and just called them that. And it's stuck because it's you know it's actually one of the catchier names. You could you know it's better than what I believe they said later in the Sea Devils that they should be called the Eocenes, which doesn't mm. sound as good, but also doesn't make much sense because that's after the dinosaurs. <laughs> So then it, that became it becomes this controversy. So which is it? You know, why, why aren't they the Cretaceouses or mm. the the Jurassics? Which both of those sound silly. I mean, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so this is Gattis once again flexing his Doctor Who nerd muscles, um, in a not particularly relevant way. But, yeah. But it does make for a nice scene of like, you know, yeah, okay, we'll call them the Sandman, but the Doctor is like, yeah, okay, Clara's right. And this does the, the the only way in which this episode ties into the wider season nine is the fact that Clara is overconfident in everything throughout this. Right, right. Which actually, um, Moffat made that uh, made that a requirement for when Gaddis yes. wrote it. He, you know, the original version, she, I think he went a little more traditional companion that she was a little worried or sweating this out, and then she's the one who's overconfident who says like, right. I don't need to hold your hand doctor. He's like, yeah, but I do like, I'm scared. Which uh, is unfortunate because this, I, this is a moment where you could have done with some companion terror to make these monsters a little scarier right. by proxy perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Um, but in any case, there's the twist. We've, they, they reveal the twist around this point that the doctors put it together, that there aren't cameras for this footage, that this footage is actually being, uh, seen recorded by sleep itself like it's in the dust now yeah, honestly so... like you you bailed out at the eye booger monsters themselves and i <laughs> i'm sympathetic to that it actually wasn't where i checked out this is where i was like wait a minute like i, I it wasn't so much i was checked out or decided that sucked i was just i spent so much time thinking like how would that even work yeah. you know that that I, I was I was sort of now in a, a, a the, for the rest of the episode on the on a weird metaphysical level, like trying to think about the concept more than actually being part of the action, and that I started to sort of lose it a bit. It, it's a clever twist too far. It's one twist too many. Very characteristic of the Moffat era, you know, pack too many twists into you know a ten minute space of time, and you're left just sort of thinking, as you say, how would this work? over and over again wait how does that work how does that work and and the thing that stopped me around here was this notion that um that they sort of hint at which is that the the sleep in our eye sleep boogers are are actually like really monsters all along and we're just we're we're suppressing them by sleeping 
Yeah. So we're we're carrying this life form around with us, which is interesting. And maybe that would have worked more. But you've got to flesh that out. You've got to make that explicit. Yeah, I know. He he really just sort of like puts in some sort of paper explanation for this and uh, just says go with it. And to be fair, I kind of mostly went with it. So <laughs> even the second time around. So I mean, I know um, they, they, these things sort of still sort of bother me. Um, but again, they didn't bother me as much the first time. And this time, like, you know, like there's enough funny dialogue. There's enough, um, mo- there's enough moments and enough scares and enough sort of clever use of horror movie imagery and tropes and tuning some of them on their head that I, I still was, you know, this is pretty good. Um, so what happens is they, you know, pl- you almost forget about the plot at this point. Like <laughs> they, they evade the, the, the creatures because the doctor realizes they're blind, um, which I finally realized. And I believe this is the point. So correct me if you didn't get this, but I mean, the <laughs> reason they're blind is because Rasmussen is hijacking the footage. That's what it oh. is. So that, that he's creating his thing. So, he, he's creating his video and so because he's manipulating that the like the footage isn't actually going to the creatures anymore you know they can't actually see anything they're just kind of lumbering around killing whatever they can so i think that's kind of what that was supposed to be i didn't quite get that the first time but i was like oh because i was like why would they be blind if you know the video footage is in the dust well it's because it's 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 constantly being like hijacked by rasmussen oh okay that makes more sense <laughs> <laughs> I wish the show had given me that. It's funny, I just read uh, Vulture did an excellent oral history of the final episode of Lost. Oh, uh, nice. I don't know if you've seen that. Well yeah, worth checking sure. out. And there's a long oral history. And then the comment section is almost as interesting because it's people sort of looking back on how disappointing the final episode of Lost was all these many years later and why it didn't land with so many people. And there was definitely that vibe of if you're having to explain it 10 years later... You know, if you're still having to explain that, no, they weren't dead the whole time. Uh, maybe there's a flaw in your plot. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, it's an issue. Uh, and the, the fact that you're having to explain to me uh, bits of Mark Astor's intention here, I think, sort of speak to the same thing. I'm like, if it if it's that confusing, like, what? why couldn't he have just sort of tried to explain this to three or four people and have them get it or not get it and then adjust the script accordingly? Yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe he was working too much on Sherlock at the time, and this was just something he was tossing off. But yeah, deadlines didn't man. seem. Yeah, didn't seem like it was best polished. No, no, it certainly wasn't. Um... Which is ironic because what we find out at the end, um, and it, we might as well just sort of skip ahead to the end at this yeah. point. I think because it is kind of the only genuinely scary for me bit of of the whole uh, monsters revealed that Rasmussen is is the monster himself and he pulls out his eye and he dissolves into sand and surprise he's won again this is this is something Gattis was going for right but that didn't really make explicit this idea that sometimes the doctor loses and uh yeah uh, and that has happened here and it's happened here because the his whole goal was to just craft a compelling story using this footage and send it out to the entire solar system so that everyone, I guess, will have sleep monsters in their eyes now, and they'll all be activated by this electronic signal, right. and humanity's time is over, and 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 that's the idea. But this is so it's a really ballsy thing to say. Uh, I'm a genius who has crafted a story specifically to make you watch, mm-hmm. right? And this whole—it's very fourth wally. It's very the story looking at itself and bragging about itself and being very meta. But if you're going to do that, you've really got to have a good story. Right. Yeah. It and he's... It doesn't, it doesn't he's quite there. deliver. It doesn't deliver. And he's there bragging at the end about how he made it a good story to, to make you, you know, a big, big monster at the end. Yeah. To I make mean, it he had a good story structure. And like, you know, yeah. if, he, if you're looking at Rasmussen, this is his submission to, you know, space <laughs> film school. Uh, you know, dude, I'm not, I'm going to give you a pass. This is, you know, you've, yeah. got, you've got a promising... Don't, uh, don't call here. us. <laughs> you you need to flesh some things out for this to really work. Uh, but you, yeah, you've I got have the, notes. the formula. <laughs> you've got the right scares. There's a lot of witty dialogue. Great performance by your lead. 
Um, <laughs> you know, this is this is a B. This is a B, my friend. You you got to you got to really you know you, to be, to really run with the pros though you're gonna have to you're gonna have to step it up a little bit so that's kind of where I came away with it so it's like um yeah this it's funny it's someone tweeted this week about how their their job as an editor and their job as a parent of toddlers was one and the same thing they found themselves saying the same things right uh, and and one of them is like well this has a lot of potential. Uh, <laughs> What you're doing has a lot of potential. Sticking crowns, you know, is kind of an interesting thing. Um, you know, let's work with this. Let's workshop this. Before you proceed um, to redline the entire thing. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In, this, in this case, I wouldn't redline the entire thing. I mean, I think big parts of it need to be changed. Big parts of it need to be explained. Um, but overall, like, to me, this final bit almost brings it home, right? Like, it's, it salvages it. It saves it, like, mm. in my mind. And... Um, I, I didn't mind watching it again. I actually wouldn't mind watching it uh, again. I, I feel like the it's it's an affecting episode that uh, evokes certain feelings. It, it there are great lines in it, um, and I I got some vibes like that a little bit from the like, like some thing vibes. So you know because uh. there's these booger monsters and you're never really told they can or can't you know, take the shape of actual people, which clearly it did. Um, and if they had sort of made that a little more explicit early on, I, I'm, I'm imagining like a more, um, a, a different episode, a different episode structure, but uh, like the idea that these things aren't just monsters, but they can impersonate you, you know, that's like, mm. it, it comes out at the end, but you're like, oh, wow. Well, that's cool. And you could really do something more like along the lines of Among Us uh, if you were to do this again, right? And I know Mark Gaddis has said like he, he has imagined a sequel to this, was even intending to do it, uh, but it mm. ended up doing uh, his Ice Warrior episode instead the following season. Oh, interesting. But uh, since we pretty much know life, the Earth civilization didn't end after the 38th century in the Doctor Who universe, um, you know, there's there's opportunity for Mark or uh, some other uh, some other writer to write that sequel, but I would love to see a sequel that is a. But you could you could essentially write off all the uh, things that make no sense in this episode as like yeah, Rasmussen was lying or <laughs> he just doctored the footage and yeah. you could you could make better explanations and have it uh, you know do a sort of slightly different horror movie formula and boom, you've got something. Yeah. Great potential, and I think you know I'm I'm always down for watching stories that don't quite work because you know Stephen King always says you learn more about writing from reading a bad story than from reading a good one because you get to see what they did wrong, and you know I think that this is sort of this could be a good uh, example for film school or you know any any writing class of like what not to do in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, you know, don't well, be too clever. Don't pack too many things in. Make your characters discernible and give them traits that you'll actually care about and remember. Um, yeah, and basically, yeah. Um, once you having a good structure, good performances, it's not enough, right? And this is my general note to Moffat too. Um, <laughs> you need to earn those beats, and yes. suspension of disbelief does have a breaking point. Uh, uh, and the, there's a thing we haven't even mentioned, which is the the, the guy in the party who's sort of anxious and, and hates grunts uh, and is constantly bothered by the grunt uh, ends up having this, you know, beautiful scene with, with the grunt at the end and it just sort of totally unearned. Right. Uh, you can see what he was going for. But like, you to know. your point, you don't really care about these people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. A lot of wasted opportunities. Um, a lot of coming close. Um, and ultimately isn't it should have been much more memorable than it was given all the f yeah. notable firsts this thing has but it does for me I mean I, I, I was glad to watch it again for the for the sort of personal reason of, of thinking about the nature of sleep because I am I've got to say that I would totally step into that machine huh. I would I hate the fact that I have to sleep for a third of the day I think most people would um, yeah. there's a I like what the doctor said and I'm sympathetic to it. And I also think there's sort of a greater point of uh, if you're ever really into a project and you really to really go forward with that project, you, you're so into it. You've been working on it for so long. You really need to step away from it for a little while. 
Um, yeah. And using that as sort of like an, looking at life as a project, you know, that you're always working on. You know, this is sort of yeah. what my in my head, what sort of the justification for sleep is. You need to you need to step away from it for a little while pretty regularly and to reboot. Um, yeah, but the, the doctor makes a great argument for sleep and sort of in in the context of, of watching the wider show where you're aware that the doctor never really sleeps. Mm-hmm. You're thinking what a hypocrite. But watching this out of order, I think, increases the sense that you like I got more of that message this time around. That was the one thing that was better for me on a second viewing was yeah okay I, I get the reasons for sleep now like I'm more at peace with it yeah and uh, you know I, I went to bed happily after this episode uh, instead of grudgingly as I usually do did you like uh, Capaldi's line at the end because I think it probably would really resonate with you when he says none of this makes any sense <laughs> just doesn't it reminds me of the, the one meme that's coming out of knives out uh the movie which is a great movie if you haven't seen it uh and it's all over twitter is uh, two side-by-side shots of of um uh daniel craig in that movie saying the line just doesn't make any damn sense compels me though it's <laughs> um, kind of exactly what's going on with this episode that that it doesn't make any damn sense for us but it is kind kind of compelling well, to to give our summary judgment here it sounds like you probably just over on the first side of that meme and i'm probably over on the second side um yeah. <laughs> so like i would say this is barely a dalek in terms of our dalek ogron rating system yeah. um for me i i have issues with it but ultimately like it's it it was a you know it was it was uh, I, i'm glad I, I saw it again I, I will certainly rate the monster an ogron. I think uh, <laughs> maybe that's <laughs> where I'll apply that rating to. Uh, but yeah, if, if if we're thinking about stream it or skip it, I, I say I say skip it unless you um, have a problem with insomnia, in, the, in which case it might be interesting to you. Well, the funny thing is about this episode, we can almost skip over our our other uh, thing we like to do, which is that what if the evil plot had succeeded? Because the evil plot did, did succeed. Yes, and <laughs> and that's the thing we don't really get to see the full implications of that. So what? All of humanity is sleep monsters in the thirty eighth century now. It's possible. And would the doctor <laughs> not notice this at some point? Well, I want to see. The, I definitely want to see the sequel. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, there's this yeah. bit where it's it's intriguing enough, uh, just as an idea that the doctor loses. That you know, you kind of want to see what what happens. Um, yeah. it's, it's the episode isn't so bad that you just hope they never revisit it um it's not another valyard um <laughs> but the um uh, mark gaddis even said I, I remember at his uh i believe it was at the viewing uh that i saw like you know when we asked him because we were all kind of a little dumbfounded at the end all like and someone asked it like did did i get that right did the doctor just lose he said oh yes you know and they asked him sort of why did you want to mm-hmm. write an episode that does that and he mentioned growing up with Doctor Who and seeing um, Earthshock as a kid. Yes, and there's the next Peter Davidson connection. Right, exactly. And so, um, you know, or obvi- certain like the Doctor kind of wins in that episode. Obviously, he defeats the Cybermen, but I mean, he loses Adric, and um, that was he, he, he. That clearly had an impact for him, and that really resonated with me too, which may, might have led to my um, liking the episode even more because yeah like i had the exact same experience growing up watching her chuck like whoa did that just happen but uh, i it's ironic because of course we're we're going in to face the raven the next episode which is the second example of a companion dying or apparently dying in doctor who and and when i wrote my review of face the raven which i absolutely loved i was like this is i i hearkened back to to earth shock like this is only really the second example and of course i should have known moffat was going to hit the reset button on that and clara didn't actually die and whatever but uh in in the moment it had an an amazing impact and uh yeah yeah that shot was on my mind but it's interesting because the you you get at the end of watching these things you know you get the next time on uh because they do that in season nine you get a little uh a little taste of Face the Raven, a little trailer for Face the Raven. And just that trailer was more compelling as a story <laughs> <laughs> than anything in, in Sleep No More. It was almost sort of embarrassing for it to be put in its place by a truly great Doctor Who story that's coming next. Yeah, yeah there's uh, a lot in that one. Anyway, so speaking of coming next, yes, shall we, 
Shall we fire up the randomizer? Let's right, activate. Let me, let me you have the technology. Press some buttons and pull some levers here and Let's find out and, where we're going. Uh, see what we can come up with. I'm trying to get my sound effect going, but it, it really doesn't want to here. Anyway, uh, all right. We have random.org. We are using atmospheric randomness, atmospheric noise to figure out where we're going next. We have the the full list of 298 stories mm -hmm. that the show has told us. I have uh, numbers between 2 and 298 plugged in, and I'm going to hit the generate button. Let's do it. All right. 82. Ooh, 82. We're going. Oh, all right. Classic We're going Let's see. Early. We are at Pyramids of Mars. Pyramids of Mars. Nice. Nice. Okay. Now, this is actually, you know, like often spoken of as a classic Tom Baker story. Very much. Uh, with Sarah Jane Smith. And it's it's one that's often referred to when people talk about the Doctor talking about himself and his, his uh, life and his history and um what? It's, it's got some good quotes in there well, yeah for sure i haven't seen it in a long time but i do mm. know this is a very much it's a talked about episode a lot because it actually has things to say about wait for it time travel <gasps> that is all i'll say at this point but um i'm really interested because you know uh, for a show that is about time travel um doctor who is wildly i wouldn't say maybe wildly inconsistent is harsh but uh, it rarely it rarely comes in and tells you what the rules are, and that's obviously for for a reason. Um, you know, it wants to keep those flexible. But this is one of those rare episodes where it has something to say about them. Um, so that's it's going to be fun to see. And there's a lot of other stuff yeah. going on. I mean, you know, um, I'm excited about it. Baker Baker's my favorite Doctor, so I'm glad we're finally going there. Yeah, we're, we're getting out of the the zone of Doctor's name Peter. Well, maybe we'll get into uh, the Doctor's name Baker. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no! Don't don't take us to color next. Yeah. Uh, well, we're gonna get well, there someday. So we'll we see. will get. We will have to do it. I love that. We will have to do every story eventually. All right. Well, this has been great, Chris. Revisiting Sleep No More with you um, again. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep no more. No more. Yeah. Um, so thank you, everyone, for listening to our fine podcast. Um, by the way, we're a podcast. If you have not yet subscribed to us, uh, please do. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. Spotify, Spotify, Breaker, yes. all the places you find your great, great podcasts. Um, so please leave us a review. Yeah. Leaving us a review would be great. We're not going to tell you what kind of review to leave. We're happy to if you stop and say anything, but you know, we we do have a special place in our, place in our heart for those five star reviews. Yeah, but if we hey, if this episode was a C minus, that's fine. Let us know. Let us know what we can do better. Absolutely. And uh, follow us on the social. So yep, we're on Twitter and Instagram at pull to open sixty three, and we're on TikTok, putting out the vids, the the excerpts from our fine podcast here at pull to open. Nope. Yeah, huh? the kids love us on TikTok. <laughs> Apparently, uh, but yeah, follow us there. Leave us a comment uh, and follow the podcast, and we'll see you next time.